Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we will read chapters 9 through 10. Now, in the previous episode, uh, there was a quest in order to save Artemis and Annabeth from what appears to seem like a heavy weight. And then in Percy's dream, in previous chapters, he got a dream where Annabeth was holding something really heavy. And then Artemis came and then took the weight for herself so now a quest by the oracle was given to the campers and the hunters plus of uh, three other campers decided to go and they swore not to take any boys so percy obviously wasn't allowed to come but with blackjack in the previous chapter blackjack came to help and they and percy got on so now we'll read chapter nine i learn how to grow zombies the thing about flying on a Pegasus during the daytime is that if you're not careful, you could cause a serious traffic accident on the Long Island Expressway. I had to keep Blackjack up in the clouds, which were fortunately pretty low in the winter. We darted around trying to keep the white Camp Half-Blood van in sight. And if it was cold on the ground, it was seriously cold in the air, with icy rain stinging my skin. I was wishing I'd brought some of that Camp Half-Blood orange thermal underwear they sold in the camp store, but after the story about Phoebe and the Centaur Blood t-shirt, I wasn't sure I trusted their products anymore. We lost the van twice, but I had a pretty good sense that they would go into Manhattan first, so it wasn't too difficult to pick up with their trail again. Traffic was bad with the holidays and all. It was mid-morning before they got into the city. I landed Blackjack near the top of the Chrysler building and watched the white camp van thinking it would pull into the bus station, but it kept, just kept driving. Where's Argus dri- taking them? I muttered. Oh, Argus ain't driving, boss, Blackjack told me. That girl is. Which girl? The hunter girl with the silver crown thing in her hair. Zoe? That's the one. Hey, look, there's a donut shop. Can we get something to go? I tried explaining to Blackjack that taking a flying horse to a donut shop would give every cop in there a heart attack. But he didn't seem to get it. Meanwhile, the van kept snaking its way through the Lincoln Tunnel. It had never even occurred to me that Zoe could drive. I mean, she didn't look 16. Then again, she was immortal. I wondered if she had a New York license. And if so, what her birth date said. Well, I said, let's get after them. We were about to leap off the Chrysler building when Blackjack whinnied at an alarm and almost threw me. Something was curling around my leg like a snake. I reached down for my sword, but when I looked down, there was no snake. Vines, grapevines, had sprouted from the cracks between the stones of the building. They were wrapping around Blackjack's legs, lashing her down my ankle so we couldn't move. Going somewhere? Mr. D asked. He was leaning against the building with his feet levitating in the air. His leopard skin warm-up suit and black, black hair whipping around in the wind. God alert! Blackjack yelled. It's the wind, wine dude. Mr. D sighed in exasperation. The next person or horse who calls me the wine dude will end up in a bottle of Merlot. Mr. D. I try to keep my voice calm as the grapevines try to continue to wrap around my legs. What do you want? Oh, what do I want? You thought, perhaps, that the mortal, all-powerful director of camp would not notice you leaving without permission? Well, maybe. I should throw you off this building, minus the flying horse, and see how heroic you sound on the way down. I balled my fists. I knew I should keep my mouth shut. But Mr. D was about to kill me or haul me back to camp in shame. 
And I couldn't stand either idea. Why do you hate me so much? What did I ever do to you? Purple flames flickered in his eyes. You're a hero, boy. I need no other reason. I have to go on this quest. I gotta help my friends. That's something you wouldn't understand. <laughs> um, boss? Blackjack said nervously. Seeing as we're how we're wrapped in vines 900 feet in the air, you might want to talk nice. The grapevines coiled tighter around me. Below us, the white van was getting farther and farther away. Soon, it would be out of sight. Did I ever, did I ever tell you about Adrian, Ariadne? Ariadne, sorry. Mr. D asked, beautiful young princess of Crete. She liked helping her friends too. In fact, she also she helped a young hero named Theseus, also a son of Poseidon. She gave him a ball of magical yarn that let him find his way out of the labyrinth. And how do you know how Theseus rewarded her? And do you know how Theseus rewarded her? The answer I wanted to give was, I don't care. But I didn't figure that would make Mr. D finish his story any faster. They got married, I said, happily ever after, the end. Mr. D sneered, not quite. Theseus said he would marry her. He took her aboard his ship and sailed for Athens. Halfway back on a little island called Noxos, he... What's the word you mortals use today? He dumped her. I found her there, you know, alone, heartbroken, crying her eyes out. She had given up everything, left everything she knew behind to help a dashing young hero who tossed her away like a broken sandal. That's wrong, I said. But that was thousands of years ago. What's that got to do with me? Mr. D regarded me cold, coldly. I fell in love with Ariadne, boy. I healed her broken heart. When she died, I made her my immortal wife in Olympus. She waits for me even now. I shall go back to her when I am done with this infernal century of a punishment at your ridiculous camp. I stared at him. You're... You're married? But I thought you got in trouble for chasing a wood nymph. My point is, you heroes never change. You accuse us gods of being vain. You should look at yourselves. You take what you want, use whoever you have to, and then you betray everyone around you. So, so you'll excuse me if I have no love for heroes. They are, un they are a selfish, ungrateful lot. Ask Ariadne, Ariadne, or Medea. For that matter, ask Zoe Nightshade. What do you mean, ask Zoe? He waved his hands dismissively. Go, follow your silly friends. The vines uncurled around my legs. I blinked in disbelief. You're... You're letting me go? Just like that? The prophecy says at least two of you will die. Perhaps I'll get lucky and you'll be one of them. But mark my words, son of Poseidon. Live or die, you will prove no better than the other heroes. With that, Dionysus snapped his fingers. His image folded up like a paper display. There was a pop and he was gone, leaving a faint scent of grapes that was quickly blown away by the wind. Too close, Blackjack said. I nodded, though I almost would have been less worried if Mr. D had hauled me back to camp. The fact that he let me go meant he really believed we stood a fair chance of crashing and burning on, a, on this quest. Come on, Blackjack, I said, trying to sound upbeat. I'll buy you some donuts in New Jersey. As it turned out, I didn't, buy black I didn't buy blackjack donuts in New Jersey. Zoe drove south like a crazy person, and we were into Maryland before she finally pulled over at a rest stop. Blackjack darn near tumbled out of the sky. 
He was so tired. I'll be, I'll be okay, boss. He panted. Just, just scratching my breath. Stay here, I told him. I'm going to scout. Stay, stay here. I can handle. I can do that. I put on my cap of invisibility and walked over to the convenience store. It was difficult not to speak. I had to keep reminding myself that nobody could see me. It was hard too, because I had to remember to get out of people's ways so they wouldn't slam into me. I thought I'd go inside and warm up, maybe get a cup of hot chocolate or something. I had a little change in my pocket. I could leave it on the counter. I was wondering if the cup would turn invisible when I picked it up, or if I had to deal with a floating hot chocolate problem. When my whole plan was ruined by Zoe, Thalia, Bianca, and Grover all coming out of the store. Grover, are you sure? Thalia was saying. Well, pretty sure. 99%. Okay, 85%. And you did this with acorns? Bianca asked like she couldn't believe it. Grover looked offended. It's a time-honored tracking spell. I mean, I'm pretty sure I did it right. DC is about 60 miles from here, Bianca said. Nico and I... She frowned. We used to live there. That's... That's strange. I'd forgotten. I dislike this, Zoe said. We should go straight west. The prophecy said west. Oh, like your tracking skills are better, Thalia growled. Zoe stepped toward her. You challenge my skills, you scullion? You know nothing of being a hunter. Oh, scullion. You're calling me a scullion. What the heck is a scullion? Whoa, you two, Grover said nervously. Come on, not again. Grover's right. Bianca said, DC is our best bet. Zoe didn't look convinced, but she nodded reluctantly. Very well, let's keep mo- let us keep moving. You're going to get us arrested driving, Thalia grumbled. I look closer to 16 than you do. Perhaps, Zoe snapped, but I have been driving since automobiles were invented. Let us go. As Blackjack and I continued south following the van, I wondered whether Zoe had been kidding. I didn't know exactly when cars were invented, but I figured that was like prehistoric times, back when people watched black and white TV and hunted dinosaurs. How old was Zoe? And what had Mr. D what had Mr. D been talking about? What bad experience had she gone had she had with heroes? As we got closer to Washington, Blackjack started slowing down and dropping altitude. He was breathing heavily. You okay? I asked. <clears throat> Fine, boss. Fine, fine, boss. I, I can take on an army. You don't sound so good. And suddenly, I felt guilty because I'd been running the Pegasus for half a day nonstop, trying to keep up with highway highway traffic, even for a flying horse that had to be rough. D- d- don't worry about me, boss. I'm a, I'm a tough one. I figured he was right, but I also figured Blackjack would run himself into the ground before he complained. I didn't want that. Fortunately, the van started to follow down, slow down. It crossed the Potomac River into central Washington. I started thinking about air patrols and missiles and stuff like that. I didn't know exactly how all those defenses worked and wasn't sure if Pegasi even showed up on your typical military radar, but I didn't want to find out by getting shot out of the sky. Set me down there, I told Blackjack. That's close enough. Blackjack was so tired he didn't complain. He dropped toward the Washington Monument and set me on the grass. The van was only a few blocks away. Zoe had parked at the curb. I looked at Blackjack. I want you to go back to camp, get some rest, graze. I'll be fine. 
Blackjack cocked his head skeptically. <clears throat> you sure, boss? You've done enough already, I said. I'll be fine, and thanks a ton. A ton of hay, maybe, Blackjack mused. That sounds good. All right, but be careful, boss. I got a feeling they didn't come here to meet anything friendly and handsome like me. I promised to be careful. Then Blackjack took off, circling twice around the monument before disappearing into the clouds. I looked over at the white van. Everybody was getting out. Grover pointed toward one of the big buildings lining the mall. Thalia nodded, and the four of them trudged off into the cold wind. I started to follow, but then I froze. A block away, the door of a black sedan opened. A man with gray hair and a military buzz cut got out. He was wearing dark shades and a black overcoat. Now, maybe in Washington you'd expect you'd expected guys like that to be everywhere, but it dawned on me that I'd seen the same car a couple of times on the highway, going south, and had been following the van. The guy took out his mobile phone and said something into it. Then he looked around, like he was making sure the coast was clear, and started walking down the mall in the direction of my friends. The worst of it was, when he turned toward me, I recognized his face. It was Dr. Thorne, the manticore from Westover Hall. Invisibility, invisibility cap on, I followed Thorne from a distance. My heart was pounding. If he had survived that Paul fall from the cliff, then Ambit must have too. My dreams had been right. She was alive and being held prisoner. Thorne kept well back from my friends, careful not to be seen. Finally, Grover stopped in front of a big building that said National Air and Space Museum. The Smithsonian. I'd been here a million years ago with my mom, but everything had looked so much bigger then. Talia checked the door. It was open, but there weren't many, many people going in. Too cold, and school was out of session. They slipped inside. <clears throat> Dr. Thorne hesitated. I wasn't sure why, but he didn't go into the museum. He turned and headed across the mall. I made a split-second split, split decision and followed him. Thorne crossed the street and climbed the steps of the Museum of Natural History. There was a big sign at the door. on the door. At first, I thought it said, Close for Pirate Event. Then I realized Pirate must be private. I followed Dr. Thorne inside, through a huge chamber full of mastodons and dinosaur skeletons. There were voices up ahead, coming from behind a set of closed doors. Two guards stood outside. They opened the doors for Thorne, and I had to sprint to get inside before they closed them again. Inside, what I saw was so terrible, I almost gasped out, gasped out loud, which probably would have gotten me killed. I was in a huge round room with a balcony ringing the second level. At least a dozen mortal guards stood on the balcony, plus two monsters, reptilian women with double snake trunks instead of legs. I'd seen them before. Annabeth had called them the Scythian Draconae, but that wasn't the worst of it. Standing between the snake woman, I could swear he was looking straight down at me. It was my old enemy, Luke. He looked terrible. His skin was pale and his blonde hair looked almost gray, as if he aged 10 years in just a few months. The angry light in his eyes was still there, and so was the scar on, uh, down, on, uh, down the side of his face, where Dragon had once scratched him. But the scar was now ugly red, as though it had, been recently, as though it had recently been reopened. Next to him, sitting down so that the shadows covered him, was another man. All I could see were his knuckles on the gilded arms of his chair, like a throne. Well? asked the man in the chair. His voice was just like the one I heard in my dream. Not as creepy as Kronos, but deeper and stronger, like the earth itself was talking. It filled a whole room even though he wasn't yelling. 
Dr. Thorne took off his shades. His two colored eyes, brown and blue, glittered with excitement. He made a stiff bow, then spoke in his weird French accent. They are here, General. Forgive me if that accent was bad. I know that, you fool, boomed the man. But where? In the Rocket Museum. The Air and Space Museum, Luke corrected irritably. Dr. Thorne glared at Luke. As you say, sir. I got the feeling Thorne would just as soon impale Luke with one of his spikes as call him sir. How many? Luke asked. Thorne pretended not to hear. How many? The general demanded. Four general, Thorne said. The satire, Grover Underwood, and the girl with the spiky black hair and the... How do you say? Punk clothes and the horrible shield. Dahlia, Luke said. And two other girls. Hunters. One wears a silver circlet. That one, I know. The general growled. Everyone in the room shifted uncomfortably. Let me take them, Luke said to the general. We have more than enough. Patience, the general said. They'll have their hands full already. I sent a little playmate to keep them occupied. But we cannot risk you, my boy. Yes, boy. Dr. Thorne said with a cruel smile, You are much too fragile to risk. Let me finish them off. No! The general rose from his chair, and I got my first look at him. He was tall and muscular, with light brown skin and slick black dark hair. He wore an expensive brown silk suit like the guys on Wall Street wear. But you never mistake this dude for a broker. He had a brutal face, huge shoulders, and hands that could snap up flagpole in half. His eyes were like stone. I felt as if I were looking at a living statue. It was amazing he could even move. You have failed me, Thorn, he said. But General, no excuses. Thorn flinched. I thought Thorn was scary when I first saw him in his black uniform at the military academy. But now, standing before the General, Thorn looked like a silly wannabe soldier. The General was the real deal. He didn't need a uniform. He was a born commander. I should throw you into the pits of Tartarus for your incompetence, the general said. I send you to capture a child of the three elder gods, and you bring me a scrawny daughter of Athena. But you promised me revenge, Thorne protested. A command of my own. I am Lord Kronos' senior commander, the general said, and I will choose lieutenants who get me results. It was only thanks to Luke that we salvaged our planet all. Now get out of my sight, Thorn, until I find some other menial tax for you. Thorn's face turned purple with rage. I thought he was going to start frothing at the mouth or shooting spines, but he just bowed awkwardly and left the room. Now, my boy, the general turned to Luke. The first thing we must do is isolate the half-blood Thalia. The monster we seek will then come to her. The hunters will be difficult to dispose of, Luke said. Zoe Nightshade, do not speak. Her name. Luke swallowed. Sorry, General. I just. The General silenced him with a wave of his hand. Let me show you, my boy, how we will bring the hunters down. He pointed to a guard on the ground level. Do you have the teeth? The guy stumbled forward with a ceramic pot. Yes, General. Plant them, he said. In the center of the room was a big circle of dirt, where I guess a dinosaur exhibit was supposed to go. I watched nervously as the guard took sharp, white teeth out of the pot and pushed them into the soul. He smoothed them over while the general smiled coldly. 
The guard stepped back from the dirt and wiped his hands. Ready, General. Excellent. Water them. We will let them scent their prey. The guard picked up a little tin watering can with daisies painted on it, which was kind of bizarre because what he, what he poured out wasn't water. It was dark red liquid, and I got the feeling it wasn't Hawaiian punch. The soil began to bubble. Soon, the general said, I will show you, Luke, soldiers that will make your army from that little boat look insignificant. Luke clenched his fist. I spent a year training my forces. When the Princess Andromeda arrives at the mountain, they'll be the best. Ha! The general said. I don't deny your troops will make a fine honor guard for Lord Kronos. And you, of course, will have a role to play. I thought Luke turned paler when the general said that. But under my leadership, the forces of Lord Kronos will increase a hundredfold. We will be unstoppable. Behold, my ultimate killing machines. The soil erupted. I stepped back nervously. In each spot where a tooth had been planted, a creature was struggling out of the dirt. The first of them said, Meow. It was a kitten. A little orange tabby with stripes like a tiger. Then another appeared, until there were a dozen rolling around and playing in the dirt. Everyone stared at them in disbelief. The general roared. What is this? Cute, cuddly teeth. Cute, cuddly kittens. Where did you find those teeth? The guard who brought the teeth cowered in fear. From the exhibit, sir. Just like you said. The saber-toothed ti- No, you idiot. I said the Tyrannosaurus. Gather up those infernal fuzzy little beasts and take them outside. And never let me see your face again. The terrified guard dropped his watering can. He gathered up the kittens and scampered out of the room. You! The general pointed to another guard. Get me the right teeth. Now. The new guard ran off to carry his orders. Imbeciles, muttered the general. This is why I don't like, I don't use mortals, Luke said. They're, they are unreliable. They are weak-minded, easily bought, and violent, the general said. I love them. A minute later, the guard hustled into the room with his hands full of large, pointy teeth. Excellent, the general said. He climbed onto the balcony railing and jumped down 20 feet. Where he landed, the marble floor cracked under his leather shoes. He stood wincing and rubbed his shoulders. Curse my stiff neck. Another hot pad, sir, a guard said. More Tylenol? No, it will pass. The general brushed off his silk suit, then snatched up the teeth. I shall do this myself. He held up one of the teeth and smiled. Dinosaur teeth, ha! Those foolish mortals don't even know what when they have dragon teeth in their possession. Not just any dragon teeth. These come from the ancient Sibaris herself. They shall do nicely. He planted them in the dirt, twelve in all. Then he scooped up the watering can. He sprinkled the soil with red liquid, tossed the can away, and held his arms out. Rise! The dirt trembled. A single skeletal hand shot out of the ground, grasping at the air. The general looked up at the balcony. Quickly! Do you have the scent? Yes, Lord, one of the snake ladies said. She took out a sash of silvery fabric, like the kind the hunters wore. Excellent, the general said. Once my warriors catch its scent, they will pursue its owner relentlessly. Nothing can stop them. No weapons known to half-blood or hunter. They will tear the hunters and their allies to shreds. Toss it here. 
As he said that, skeletons erupted from the ground. There were twelve of them, one for each shoot the general had planted. They were nothing like Halloween skeletons, or the kind you might see in cheesy movies. These were growing flesh as I watched, turning into men, but men with dull gray skin, yellow eyes, and modern clothes, gray muscle shirts, camo pants, and combat boots. If you didn't look too closely, you could almost believe they were human, but their flesh was transparent, and their bones shimmered underneath like extra images. One of them looked straight at me, regarding me coldly, and I knew that no cap of invisibility would fool it. The snake lady released the scarf and it fluttered down the general's hand. As soon as he gave it to the warriors, they would hunt Zoe and the other hunters until they were extinct. I didn't have time to think. I ran and jumped with all my might, plowing into the warriors and snatching the scarf out of the air. What's this? bellowed the general. I landed at the feet of a skeleton warrior who hissed. An intruder, the general growled, one cloaked in darkness. Seal the doors. It's Percy Jackson, Luke yelled. It has to be. I sprinted for the exit, but heard a ripping sound and realized the skeleton warrior had taken a chunk out of my sleeve. When I glanced back, he was holding the fabric up to his nose, sniffing the scent, handing it around to his friends. I wanted to scream, but I couldn't. I squeezed through the door just as the guard slammed it shut behind me. And then I ran. And that is the end of chapter 9. But don't worry, guys. We will know, find out where Percy ran and where he had gone in just a few minutes right after this break we'll read chapter 10 i break a few rocket ships and we are back from the ads and now we'll read chapter 10 i break a few rocket ships i tore across the mall not daring to look behind me I burst into the Air and Space Museum and took off my invisibility cap once I was through the admissions area. The main part of the museum was one huge room with rockets and airplanes hanging from the ceiling. Three levels of balcony curled around so you could look at the uh, exhibits from all different heights. The place wasn't crowded, just a few families and a couple of tour groups of kids, probably doing one of those holiday school trips. I wanted to yell at them to uh, all to leave, but I figured that would only get me arrested. I had to find Thalia and Grover and the hunters. Any minute, the skeleton dudes were going to invade the museum, and I didn't think they would settle for an audio tour. I ran to Thalia, literally. I was barreling up the ramp to the top floor balcony and slammed into her, knocking her into an Apollo space capsule. Grover yelped in surprise. Before I could regain my balance, Zoe and Bianca had arrows notched and aimed at my chest. Their bows that had just appeared out of nowhere. When Zoe realized who I was, she didn't seem anxious to lower her bow. You! How dare you show thy face here? Percy! Grover said, thank goodness. Zoe glared at him and he blushed. I mean, um, gosh, you're not supposed to be here. Luke, I said, trying to catch my breath. He's here. The anger in Thalia's eyes immediately melted. She put her hand on the silver bracelet. Where? I told him about the Natural History Museum, Dr. Thorne and Luke Luke and the General. The General is here? Zoe looked stunned. That is impossible. You lie. Why would I lie? Look, there's no time. Skeleton warriors. What? Thalia demanded. How many? Twelve, I said. And that's not all. The guy, the General, he said he was sending something. A playmate to distract you over here. A monster. Thalia and Grover exchanged looks. 
We were following Artemis's trail, Grover said. I was pretty sure it led here. Some powerful monster said she must have stopped here looking for the mystery monster. But we haven't found anything yet. Zoe, Bianca said nervously, if it is the general, it cannot be. Zoe snapped. Percy must have seen an iris message or some other illusion. Illusions don't crack marble, marble floors, I told her. Zoe took a deep breath, trying to calm herself. I didn't know why she was taking it so personally, or how she knew this general guy, but I figured now wasn't the time to ask. If Percy is telling the truth about the skeleton warriors, she said, we have no time to argue. They are the worst, the most horrible. We must leave now. Good idea, I said. I was not including thee, boy, Zoe said. You are not part of this quest. Hey, I'm trying to save your lives. You shouldn't have come, Percy, Thali said grimly, but you're here now. Come on, let's get back to the van. That is not Thali's decision, Zoe snapped. Thalia scowled at her. You're not the boss here, Zoe. I don't care how old you are. You're still a conceited little brat. You never had any wisdom when it came to boys, Zoe growled. You never could leave them behind. Thalia looked like she was about to hit Zoe. Then everyone froze. I heard a growl so loud, I thought one of the rocket engines was starting up. Below us, a few adults screamed. A little kid's voice screeched with delight. Kitty! Something enormous bounded up the ramp. It was the size of a pickup truck with silver claws and golden glittering fur. I'd seen this monster once before. Two years ago, I'd glimpsed it briefly from a train. Now up and close and personal, looked even bigger. <sighs> the Nemean the, the lion, Thalia said. Don't move. The lion roared so loud it parted my hair. Its fangs gleamed like stainless steel. Separate on my mark, Zoe said. Try to keep it distracted. Until when? Grover asked. Until I think of a way to kill it. Go! I uncapped Riptide and rolled to the left. Arrows whistled past me, and Grover played a sharp tweet-tweet cadence on his reed pipes. I turned and saw Zoe and Bianca climbing the Apollo capsule. They were fire fire firing arrows, one after another, all shattering harmlessly against the lion's metallic fur. The lion swiped the capsule and tipped it on its side, spilling the hunters off the back. Grover played a horror, frantic, horrible tune, and the lion turned toward him, but Thalia stepped into its palate. Holding up Aegis, and uh, the lion recoiled. Roar! Hiya! Thalia said, Back! The lion growled and clawed the air, but it retreated as if the shield were a blazing fire. For a second, I thought Thalia had it under control. Then I saw the lion crouch, crouching, its leg muscles tensing. I'd seen enough cat fights in the alleys around my apartment in New York. I knew the lion was gonna pounce. Hey! I yelled. I don't know what I was thinking, but I charged the beast. I just wanted to get away from my friends. I slashed it with Riptide, a good strike to the flank that should have cut the monster into meow mix, but the blade just clanged against its fur in a burst of sparks. The lion raked me with its claws, ripping off a chunk of my coat. I backed against the railing. It sprang on, at me, 1,000 pounds of monster, and I had no choice but to turn and jump. I landed on the wing of an old-fashioned silver airplane, which pitched and almost spilled me to the floor, three stories below. An arrow whizzed past my head. The lion jumped onto the aircraft, and the cords holding the plane began to groan. The lion swiped at me, and I dropped onto the next exhibit. 
a weird looking spacecraft with blades like a helicopter. I looked up and saw the lion roar inside its maw, a pink tongue and throat. Its mouth, I thought. Its fur was completely invulnerable, but if I could strike it in the mouth, the only problem was the monster moved too quickly. Between its claws and fangs, I couldn't get close without getting sliced to pieces. Zoe, I shouted, target the mouth. The monster lunged, an arrow zipped past him, missing completely, and I dropped from the spaceship onto the top of a floor exhibit, a huge model of the Earth. I slid down Russia and dropped off the equator. The Nemean lion growled and steadied itself on the spacecraft, but its weight was too much. One of the cords snapped as the display swung down like a pendulum. The lion leaped off the model Earth's North Pole. Grover, I yelled, clear the arena, area. Groups of kids were running around screaming. Grover tried to quarrel them away from the monster just as the other cord on the spaceship snapped and the exhibit crashed to the floor. Dahlia dropped off the second floor lane railing and landed across from me on the other side of the, of the globe. The lion regarded us both, trying to decide which of us to kill first. Zoe and Bianca were above us, bows ready, but they kept having to move around to get a good angle. No clear shot! Zoe yelled, get it to open its mouth more. The lion snarled from the top of the globe. I looked around, options I needed. The gift shop. I had a vague memory from my trip here as a little kid. Something I made my mom buy me and I regretted it. If they still stole that, if they still sold that stuff. Talia, I said, keep it occupied. She nodded grimly. Hiya! She pointed a spear and a spidery arc of blue electricity shot out zapping the lion in the tail. Roar! The lion turned and pounced. Dahlia rolled out of its way, holding up Aegis to keep the monster at bay, and I ran for the gift shop. This is no time for souvenirs, boy! Zoe yelled. I dashed into the shop, knocking over rows of t-shirts, jumping over tables full of glow-in-the-dark planets and space ooze. The sales lady didn't protest. She was too busy cowering behind her cash register. There, on the far wall, glittery silver packets, whole racks of them. I scooped up every kind I could find and ran out of the shop with an armful. Zoe and Bianca were still showering arrows on the monster, but it was no good. The lion seemed to know better than to open its mouth too much. It snapped at Thalia, slashing it with its claws. It even kept its arrows narrowed to its tiny slits. Thalia jabbed at the monster and backed up. The lion pressed her. Percy, she called. Whatever you're going to do. The lion roared and swatted her like a cat. Cat toy sending her flying into the side of the Titan rocket. Her head hit the middle and she slid to the floor. Hey! I yelled at the lion. I was too far away to strike, so I took a risk. I hurled Riptide like a throwing knife. It bounced off the lion's side, but that was enough to get the monster's attention. It turned toward me and snarled. That was the only way to get close enough. I charged, and as the lion leaped to intercept me, I chunked a space food pouch into its maw. A chunk of cellophane-wrapped, freeze-dried strawberry parfait. The lion's got eyes got wide, and it gagged like a cat with a hairball. I couldn't blame it. I remember feeling the same way when I tried to eat space food as a kid. The stuff was just plain nasty. Zoe, get ready! I yelled. Behind me, I could hear people screaming. Grover was playing another horrible song in his pipes. I scrambled away from the lion. It managed to choke down the space food packet and looked at me with pure hate. Snack time! I yelled. 
It made the mistake of roaring at me, and I got an ice cream sandwich in his throat. Fortunately, I'd always been a pretty good pitcher, even though baseball wasn't my game. Before the line could stop gagging, I shot in two more flavors of ice cream and a freeze-dried spaghetti dinner. The eye, lion's eyes bugged. It opened its mouth, uh, its mouth wide and reared up on his back paws, trying to get away from me. Now, I yelled. Immediately, arrows pierced the lion's maw. Two, four, six. The lion thrashed wildly, turned, and fell backward. And then, it was still. Alarms wailed through the mu- throughout the museum. People were flocking to the exits. Security guards were running around in a panic with no idea what was going on. Grover knelt at Thalia's side and helped her up. She seemed okay, just a little dazed. Zoe and Bianca dropped from the balcony, balcony and landed next to me. Zoe eyed me cautiously. That was an interesting strategy. Hey, it worked. She didn't argue. The lion seemed to be melting, the way dead monsters do sometimes, until there was nothing left but its glittering fur coat, and even that seemed to be shrinking to the size of a normal lion's pelt. Take it, Zoe told me. I stared at her. What, the lion's fur? Isn't that like an animal rights violation or something? It is a spoil of war, she told me. It is a rightly thine. You killed it, I said. She shook her head, almost smiling. I think thy ice cream sandwich did that. Fair is fair, Percy Jackson. Take the fur. I lifted it up. It was surprisingly light. The fur was smooth and soft. It didn't feel at all like something that could stop a blade. As I watched, the pelt shifted and changed into a coat, a full-length golden brown duster. Not exactly my style, I murmured. We have to get out of here, Grover said. The security guards won't stay confused for long. I noticed for the first time how strange it was that the guards hadn't rushed forward to arrest us. They were scrambling in all directions except ours, like they were madly searching for something. A few were running into the walls or each other. You did that? I asked Grover. He nodded, looking a little embarrassed. A minor confusion song? I played some Barry Manilow. It works every time, but it'll only last a few seconds. The security guards are not our biggest worry, Zoe said. Look. Through the glass walls of the museum, I could see a group of men walking across the lawn. Gray men in gray camouflage outfits. They were too far away for us to see their eyes, but I could feel their gaze aimed straight at me. Go, I said. They'll be hunting me. I'll distract them. No, Zoe said. We go together. I stared at her. But you said... You are part of this quest now, Zoe said grudgingly. I do not like it, but there is no changing fate. You are the fifth quest member. We are not leaving anyone behind. And that is the end of chapter 10. This was an amazing chapter, especially that lion fight, finding fighting a, a giant lion and then finally beating it in the end. Yeah, I'm pretty happy that Percy got to join that team. And I do hope that they continue. Zoe and Percy do get on better terms as the book progresses because, you know, she's going to have to accept him even though it's not part of their policy. But, you know, I do feel that Percy will be a great help to the team. And I do apologize for all the accents I tried to do, the French accent. I hope I, I tried my best. It was a really bad one, but forgive me for the bad accent on the French, uh, on when I was trying to mimic Dr. Thorne, but other than that, we will go, we will, next week we will read chapters 11 through 12, and other than that, stay safe and stay out of boredom.